What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast presented to you by Texas Beat. I am Conor O'Gara. Will, you are back, but Jimbo Fisher is not. <laughs> Correct. Here I am. My God. Um, Jimbo Fisher, as Billy Lucci first reported for Texas, is out at Texas A&M. Just a stunning Sunday morning news drop, which words I don't usually say. Stunning on every possible level because obviously the buyout that I feel like we've been talking about forever, it's going to be, you know, everybody's reporting somewhere between like 75 and $77 million. We kind of wait and see what it all is. When you get to that point, who really cares? Difference between $1 and $2 million. But Jimbo is out after A&M, ironically enough, has its best game against SEC competition since the seven overtime game against LSU. Um, Man. Yeah, sorry. Didn't mean to go there. Had to humble you a little bit. But one of those things that, look, I pride myself on not predicting the future, but feeling like, okay, we have a good sense of what's going on in this conference. And to say that I woke up on Sunday morning, expected to be whipping up a batch of waffles for the family and expected to be getting a message from my editor, Chris Wright. Shout out Chris Wright. Hey, Billy Lucci reporting that Jimbo Fisher is fired. I can't say that that I saw that one coming and can't say that I expected to talk about it here today. But here's the good news for us. Well, we didn't get cold taked and that that never happens. So raise a glass to us. But my God, we have a lot to dig into. I, I this is mm-hmm. there's so much to, to want to break down. When I texted you that um, the the report from Billy, what was your initial thought? Um. It's about to get real interesting with recruiting. Um, yeah, yeah, I think A&M, one thing that they've always done, well, in the post-Johnny era is recruit really well. And I feel like they have a lot of guys that are kind of, and I think so much goes into it. Like we were joking off air about this is the most A&M firing ever because apparently like the Board of Regents or whatever met on Thursday, decided he was going to get fired. He played, he coached, like you said, one of the best games front to back of his career at A&M. But he was already fired at that point. It didn't matter. It was kind of like Coach O. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, now you kind of just look into the ether and think you know, all these recruits were uh, kind of lukewarm anyway. And that's what I was going to say is, you know, we never know the real vibe inside of a program. I think that was one thing that was starting to show some smoke is that so many guys started decommitting from A&M. So many guys started taking visits when they were committed. So, so, you know, it feels like the people inside the program knew something was happening. But, yeah, it's just it's a wild west when a team like that just uh, completely loses leadership because players got to go somewhere. The shockwaves will be sent throughout college football. This will have a an impact on so many different teams, in part because of what it means for current coaches that are going to get a raise as a result of this to not go to AM. We're going to get to some of the, the candidates and all of that as well. But we need to, to put some perspective on the, the Fisher era and what it was because he finishes now 45 and 25 at AM. He has a winning percentage that's worse than Kevin Sumlin. He would have needed to go six and one to match the six years, ironically enough, that Kevin Sumlin got at Texas A&M. So all those side-by-side comparisons down to the day that Jimbo Fisher was fired, they played. Only two top 25 finishes. That is, to me, that that is such a stunning thing to process and look, maybe this AM team, I look, if they end up going eight and four or they win a bowl game or something, they would have to beat LSU to get to eight and four. But they do all those things and, and maybe they can still finish in the top 25. So I, I don't know, take that for what it is. But 
in the last six seasons, AM has as many top 25 finishes as Northwestern. Well, that is th- that right there for a man that AM committed $117 million to. $117 million. Think about that because it's not just the $75 million that was committed to him. It's, oh, you added these three years or you already had those three years banked with him on that contract. And then you had the 10 year, $95 million contract, those things associated. This has to go down as one of the biggest coaching failures in American sports history, despite the fact that AM obviously had the 2020 season in which you had the best AP poll finish since 1939, but you're still sitting there without a West title. And we need to lay to rest two things, two iconic things, some would say, Will, that will um, forever be associated with the Jimbo Fisher era in College Station. You know what one of them is. One of them is the future national championship plaque mm-hmm. that Jimbo Fisher was was awarded before he ever coached a game wherein it said 20 and then it left it blank at the end of it. So credit to AM for not putting like, you know, just the two and thinking, okay, well, got to give him the rest okay. of the century. Okay, he'll get there. Yeah. Maybe it'll be like 2134, but he'll get there. That I I would love to know where that currently is. Chris Vanini just did a great story in the Athletic on the con- the Civil Conflict Trophy and the whereabouts of that. So I feel like if that can be tracked down, so can this. Somebody please make that happen. I This day has a little bit of everything for me. We got a Civil Conflict reference in the chat. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, here's the question. Do you think he immediately threw it away, or do you think he is going to bring it to a ranch and, like, ceremoniously burn it in a big bonfire while wearing, like, a cowboy hat? Well, that's that's the thing, is that I I don't think this is the type of thing that makes the cut when one is emptying out one's office and is Mm. putting stuff in the box. I don't know how that works with, with Jimbo. And if he he truly has somebody that does that, how that process, you go about that when you are as filthy rich as he is, you can just hang out in one of your ranches and have somebody else do it, I guess. But it's somewhere. It's I look, I'd like to think it's still in solid form. I'm gonna picture that the the fake plaque is still in solid form. You know what else is in solid form that I might have to set a match to? Well, the Iowa Notepad. I know. For the YouTube audience, you can see exactly what I'm holding up for the listen-only audience. Uh, just just take my words and know that this isn't goodbye. Um, it's see you later. It's see you later to the Iowa notepad that chronicled the Jimbo Fisher buyout numbers and was always at the ready for me. It, it was a safety blanket. It was uh, a source of entertainment. It, it kept me sane during these moments in which I thought to myself, no, I, I can't. I can't bang the drum for an underachieving coach who's who's on this ridiculously guaranteed salary. I can't bang the drum for him to be fired. Pull me out of my misery, Iowa Notebook, and tell me that this can't happen. And don't you know it will? It happened. And so here I sit with this notepad in hand, and I just feel like, you know what? This, this piece of paper, it, it had more years left. It could have gotten to that 2026 in which we would have been like, oh, hey, Jimbo's buyout. It's it's down it's below 50 million bucks let's that thing is about eight to ten lines on it right now like were you doing math each time something happened well i i did not mess around with this uh this this I, look i have to i can't just set it ablaze we we can't do that that's not mm-hmm. fair that wouldn't be doing this this right but 
Um, it's not going to be shown for a while. And if anything, you know what? It cold takes myself because I was dead wrong about this. I, I, when Bruce Feldman came out with his report in the athletic about a month ago about coaches on the hot seat saying that Jimbo Fisher was on that and that A&M was going to find a way to pay this money if they felt it was necessary. I kind of scoffed at that. And I said, I'll believe it when I see it because the richest buyout ever paid, ever paid. Gus Mel's on $21.5 million, just in case you forgot. Oh, this my is, gosh. This is three and a half times that. This is We were supposed to get a $30 million buyout first. All right? We weren't just supposed to go from $21.5 million to $76 million just like that. That That is why I have been banging this drum so unbelievably hard and why this Iowa notepad has been my savior. This has been one of the most unprecedented tenures from start to finish that we have ever seen, not just in the SEC, not just in college football, but in sports. This is baffling, Will. This is truly baffling. And I like I found myself saying, is there one thing? Is there one specific thing that we could point to that we could say, if Jimbo does this, if he goes this direction, that he hits this fork in the road instead of that fork in the road, this thing goes in a totally different direction. Because you could look back and say, well, you know, did he just stop recruiting? Because that was the knock at, at Florida State and all these Florida F State fans who are probably having themselves a nice cold glass of beer on this Sunday morning, thinking about Mike Norvell and thinking about how this Jimbo Fisher tenure went. They were all saying he stopped recruiting at Florida State. Okay. He didn't he didn't stop doing that. All of his full cycle classes at AM were top 10 classes. Mm -hmm. Last two years, he was top four in the country in talent composite rankings. They signed 14 five-star recruits during his time there. 14. Goodness, man. I mean, think about that. Like this, this wasn't a situation like that where all of a sudden, oh, he he just he just gave up. He got frustrated with the resources around him. It was the exact opposite. He had all the resources he could he could possibly want. He could poach any coordinator. He could poach any recruit. He could do whatever. And still, this is the result of a still coach. ended up with DJ Durkin and Bobby Petrino and getting fired. Bobby Petrino has improved the offense by 12 points per game. Well, Isn't oh, that yeah, crazy? that actually was a great He should have probably done that sooner. Like when you talk about where it kind of went wrong, yeah. if he had done that being a last year and just been like, Hey, Bobby, I know you're not up to anything, brother. Get over here. We'll that's, pay a couple milli. Yeah, that's perfectly, uh, yeah, that's perfectly fair. Nine consecutive road losses to end his tenure, though. Wow. He, in the last two seasons, did not win a true road game. I mean, that that is, for somebody making that kind of money to do that in year five and year six, Jimbo Fisher just forget how to coach? Did he just forget how to coach? Did he forget that this conference, the margin for error, is so unbelievably slim? And did he have too much bravado thinking – that because of his time at Florida State, wherein he won a national championship, he coached a Heisman Trophy winner, he took over one of the all-time greats that this sport has ever seen in Bobby Bowden, and he had learned from Nick Saban, and he had done all these things. Stubbornness is probably the, the main culprit of why this didn't work out and why we're sitting here having this conversation. It has to be. But I don't know that you can necessarily say you shouldn't sign up for that. You should sign up for what AM signed up for. The money is what is, is absurd, but you sign up every single time you can poach a national championship winning coach who can bring in elite talent. 
That is the name of the game in this day and age. And there are a lot of people saying, I'd take that risk 100 times out of 100. But obviously, when the money that's associated with it is what it is, we're left scratching our heads going, how in the world are you going to bounce back from this? And that's the mm -hmm. question I think all of us are asking. Yeah, no, I'm, it's so interesting, right? Because, okay, and we never want to like really feel, I've talked about this before, it's hard to feel sorry for AM because they have so much money. So like, they'll probably be fine. Like, they're not worried about like, you know, it, this is kind of their worst case. And there's still a guy who is always kind of like in the middle of the pack, you know, it wasn't like an Arkansas situation. Um, but yeah, I will say this, like, and this is the whole like, not make excuses, but you know, when they had Kellen Mond, this was a team that was at least, we knew what they were. They were pretty much the same team, pretty close. Every year they had Kellen Mond. The defense was a little bit better or worse, right? But as soon as he left and they had this weird revolving door quarterbacks, it all just completely fell off a cliff. And can I address that real quick? Because yeah. that's a great point. Because there are a lot of people that will look at the last three years. And uh, I, we'll, we'll get to the AM game against Mississippi State, Jalen Henderson, your third different starting quarterback. You've had some bad injury like the last, the last couple of years. I, I totally get that. You're also not supposed to have a three-year starter who never misses a start, who is mobile like Kellen Mond is when you're playing that style of system. So I think that's like if you're saying, well, Jimbo Fisher just had bad injury luck and whatever, like the guy, like the guy couldn't make it work. He also wasn't had great injury luck those first three years and got to establish his offense with the player that Kellen Mond was. A hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's the correct way to address it. It's like it always regresses to the mean, right? If you have a guy who's super healthy for three years and you have a perfect like uh, uh, quarterback room and you're still making these weird offensive miscues and you still don't have a top you know, two or three offense in the SEC with this great quarterback or at least a solid plus quarterback, then when you have a revolving door, it's like, well, what are we going to do here? Because it's kind of like, you know, why we worry about Jaden Daniels leaving because all these crazy third down plays, all these things, it's like how good is the offense really? And it's like, same deal here. You know, he waited too long to bring in a Petrino and then he had another injury. And it's like, we'll never get to know, you know, what this would have been with Wigman and Petrino, but that's because he didn't bring in Petrino soon enough. You know, he would have, even if Max Johnson were playing last year with Petrino, he would have had more reps under the same system yep. this year. So it's like, it's really, it's so hard, so hard to feel sorry for Jimbo Fisher, a guy who left one fan base hanging to come to another one, chase the money. I get it, but he didn't chase the winning. I never felt like there was a point. I mean, even in 2020, they had that blowout loss to Bama. It felt pretty clearly like they were not really going to, like they were not the best team in the SEC that year. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I can't really pick out a moment, but it just kind of felt like this was inevitable after the last couple of years. There, the, the sliding door, the most recent, the last sliding door, the, the last opportunity that he really could have changed things because, as you pointed out, this this decision, according to, to Billy Lucci, was made Thursday. So it had nothing to do with the Mississippi State result. I don't think it had anything to do with even the Ole Miss result. I, I, I don't. I, I think this was – you don't make a decision like that based on that kind of a game. Like, with all due respect to Ole Miss and, and who A&M – is by the way clinching poll eligibility on Saturday night. Um, I, I don't think you make that expensive of a decision, a potential $150 million decision, as Ross Dellinger was kind of breaking down. And if you if you look at the buyouts for this staff, what it's going to take to hire a new staff, that's not even getting into the NIL stuff too, with recruits and how much it's going to cost to either keep some of these guys on your roster to go out and get new guys. Like th this is going to be historically expensive to be able to build up just to get to respectability. And that, that I think is, is something that you're like, all right, well, whatever. It was the only choice that a and had to make. And if you're willing to make it, okay, that's fine. But you look at all these different things and you're like, man, so if they had been able to 
win that game against Bama this year, could this season have gone differently? Mm, their offensive line still had too many issues for my liking. Still probably not consistent enough on the defensive end, though they do have the game records up front. But still probably wasn't going to be a team that was going to, that was going to win the West. I don't think mm -hmm. if they beat Bama, they are out of the woods and they win the West. Would it have changed the complexion of Fisher? Could it have bought him more time to maybe get to the end of the season? And maybe if we're talking about like nine and three, potentially get to a 10th win in a bowl game, could that have maybe given him another year? Yeah, it could have. I, I, I think it could have. But did it all of a sudden mean that Fisher was going to take off like a rocket ship and he was going to maximize this championship window that we had talked about with his historic 2022 class? No, I don't think that would have been the case. And I think AM, uh, I think it was Bruce Feldman who had the quote where it was like, what was another eight and four season going to show? <laughs> what was, what, what, what were we really going to be? It's just delaying the inevitable. And the, the fact that Texas is coming to this conference next year in Oklahoma as well, there was, uh, in my opinion, going to be a, a desire to show this that you won the breakup. And that Texas was coming back in town for Thanksgiving break. You had gone your separate ways when you decided to go to college. You wanted to show Texas. You wanted to show Texas. Hey, I didn't put on that freshman 15. I'm good. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm living my best life off at state. U. Mm -hmm. I, I'm doing well. And instead they are at a place where once again, in a new era of a conference, they're having to find a new coach. Now it worked out last time and Kevin Sumlin, you're one of the SEC has this unbelievable season that nobody could have seen coming with Johnny Manziel. And it probably set expectations at a different level. But that that to me is what AM is aspiring to achieve is to have more years like that to where it doesn't feel like this one off all the time. And by the end of Fisher's tenure, it's wild to think that 2020 was such a one off. And it wasn't even a particularly enjoyable season because you didn't have these capacity crowds and you didn't know mm -hmm. if you were going to play in a given week. I mean, goodness gracious, like that, that to me, if, if that's your, if you're going to hang your hat on that as like, that's your best year, both as an individual or as a player, I keep thinking of like Zach Wilson, how that was his best year as an individual yep. and how it's like, Oh, that, that kind of sucks. Um, that's, mm, I don't, I wouldn't want to base everything on that, but that that is really what this came down to. And imagine and basing your whole. I mean, hey, Bill Belichick did it. Um, <laughs> I, I will I will say this too. These are two like kind of funnier notes on this. But as you talk about the twenty twenty season, it is kind of ironic, like that. A and M just made a bowl game, right? I hope we see a zombie Texas A and M bowl game like we've seen for so many because those are so fun. Where like there's like a couple of players left. But remember, they opted out of that 2020 bowl game because they were like getting ready for next year. They're like, you guys don't know what's coming. We got a couple of small COVID scare. We're gonna err on the side of caution this time. They didn't want we'll Blake Bowles to be their starting quarterback in a bowl game. They didn't want to have a walk-on quarterback who was out there. If you saw the Travis Brown tweet on Saturday night, wherein he was warming up wearing Max Johnson's jersey, yeah. his practice jersey, and everybody's like, "What is like? Are they doing some gamesmanship thing?" And like, a and beat reporters couldn't even recognize this guy, and he could have mm -hmm. been starting in this bowl game a couple of years ago had they actually played. But yeah, you're right. They haven't played in a bowl game in three years. They haven't played in a bowl game since the end of that 2020 season because they didn't make one last year. So I mean, you're playing one this year, but golly, it's been a, it's been a long time since a and has actually had a reason to feel good.
but yeah, and then exactly what you said about that 2020 class, it's like bringing that in the boat was such a big deal because it's like, look, we got them. It's over with. Now with 2022 class, not 2020 class. Oh, no, no, no. You're right. You're 100% yeah. right. That was the huge one where it was like, hey, look at the recruiting rankings. Everybody's pointing at that. Now in the, in the modern era, it's like, okay, well, those guys are just free agents. You know, I mean, yep. you got to whoever you bring in. And I don't even think it's really worth rushing your coaching search to save those guys, you know, because at the end of the day, you'd rather make a good coaching hire because players are going to come and go. But it's like, you know, you bring in your guy and he has to like re-recruit these guys. I would assume they at least give him a chance to do that. Um, but maybe if they take two or three months, maybe they don't. So I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see such a rich and talented program actually be struggling. You know, like I said, you're going to be fine if you're Texas a If your worst case scenario is just paying another mid-plus head coach to go eight and four for a couple of years and then fire him here, you're not going to be Arkansas. You're not going to fall all the way back into the two one win situations. Like they wouldn't tolerate that, you know? So I think that's at least you can say that your administration values winning in this moment. So you can got to be happy. Honestly, it's like, well, we tried the big fish. Didn't go like everyone thought you said Gus Mills on 21 mil, 21 and a half million. And if you recall, <sighs> they didn't even have alignment on how they wanted to replace him. And that, that to me was like, wait a minute, you're, you're going to pay all this money to a guy that's been there for eight years. And Auburn wasn't even bad in 2020. They were they were what six and four, I, I think that yeah. year, and like they they were fine. They they weren't. It wasn't a disastrous Gus Malzahn season or anything like that. This wasn't 2015 or anything, and they still were not aligned on who they wanted to replace him. And there was the boosters who wanted Kevin Steele, and and there was that whole deal. And like, wait a minute, so like you're gonna make this unprecedented move to to have the defensive coordinator promoted? And I I think A and M has more alignment than that. And that's mm -hmm. the good news if I'm an Aggie fan is that I feel like this isn't going to be a move in which you just take the cheap way out because you feel like that's all you can do. To me, there's no cheap way. None of this is cheap. It, it's just, it's just not. So let's, let's talk about some candidates because there yeah. are a lot, a lot of people are throwing, everybody's a candidate. If you're not a candidate. Oh, I want to say this really quick. You asked me this the other day. I think that this proves A&M is fansville. You know, mm. <laughs> I could I, now see all of this stuff happening. <laughs> yeah. Mississippi State, I think, was the leader in the clubhouse. There was so much maroon in that game last night. It was hard to watch at times. I was just like, I, I need mm -hmm. to mm, I need to take a step back here. Um, look, I think A&M might have won that title. I think you're right. I, I think A&M is fansville. I, I, I do think that they have definitely earned that, that title. It's first play. Guys, first play of the game. <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> I love that line from Boss. Okay, candidates. Lane and Elko are where I'd start. Mm -hmm. And I know Ole Miss fans are sick and tired of hearing about it. You know what? It's going to be a yearly thing, okay? Mm -hmm. And and it's not. we're not trying to disrespect your program, but there is going to be a market for Lane Kiffin. That, that is whether or not he takes it. Look, if, if he doesn't take opportunities like that, if he's not pursued, then okay. That's, that's all well and good. There is going to continue to be a market for Lane Kiffin. Mike Elko is not quite out of the same Kevin Steele playbook that Auburn followed, but it is, it would be ironic if it's the defensive coordinator who look, you've seen what it's been like without him for the last two years and what he's doing at Duke. I, I give him all the credit of the world, former lad of the week, friend of the program, all those different things. Those would be the two where I'd start seeing Dan Lanning, Kalen DeBoer on the list of candidates. I think it was, I think I want to say it was Pete Thamel who threw that out there. It's race season. So get ready. Your mm -hmm. coach, Eli Drinkwitz, 
It's raise season. It, it's coming. I'm sure James Franklin's going to somehow find a way to get a raise, despite the fact that he lives to serve Ohio State and Michigan. There are other him, I'm imagining him as his agent going to the AD after that, like, hey, you know, you don't want to lose. You don't want to get aided to hire this guy. It's like, buddy, they just fired that guy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, James Franklin will, will not shoot down rumors that he will leave for Texas A&M, of course. The funniest hire is Mike Norvell. Does How does that work? Florida State would become the feeder program for Texas A&M, and Oregon was the feeder program for Florida State. So I don't know how that works on the, the chain of command or, or whatever, but It'd be a tough bill to swallow for Florida State as it approaches this this new era potentially uh, in the ACC. Um, I guess probably won't happen, but still would be the funniest one and one that I mean you had you had success pursuing the one last time, but then again on the A and M side, it's also like, well, do you really want to go down that after this colossal failure and and bring in Mike Norvell? And just do the exact same thing in some ways. Mike Norvell hasn't won a ring. Doesn't appear to be as stubborn as Jimbo Fisher. But still, you know, I don't know. Kind of tempting fate by doing that. The other funniest hire that I know would never happen. Because he's on the wrong side of 70. But I'd still be like, oh, that's interesting. Is Mac Brown. <laughs> he's innovating. You got to give Mac Brown credit. He scored in the 30s and 40s every day. I mean, some are saying Gene Chizik got the stop that he needed to be able to close out Duke. I'm just, look, that 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 UNC team ain't getting Drake May without a certain Mac Brown. Got Drake May mm-hmm. to stay on board. Knows his way around NIL. Got Tez Walker eligible. Knows his way around the NCAA. Knows his way around the Lone Star State. That much we know. God, I love Mac Brown, though. That would be great. But tr- the truly funniest and perfectly wild blow everything up that you thought you knew about this sport higher that Matt Hayes threw out a couple of weeks ago that I would just, Oh my God, I in the content creation business, we'd be salivating at the mouth. If this happened Dabo. Oh my gosh. That's the one. <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. That's it. That's the one. It's, it's perfectly with what's his name. Uh, the, the caller. What was his name? Tyler from Tyler, Tyler from Spartanburg. Just in time. That's when he comes out. If I would put out a statement if I was there and be like, well, you know, some of our fans have been a little bit upset lately. I don't know what my future is here. I would say that in the Wednesday press conference if I was him just to freak everybody out. You know, I've, I've actually been thinking about that since Matt wrote about it. Um, you, you can read the entire article on SaturdayNotTalk.com. That was a couple of weeks ago. You might have to, might have to Google search that one. But the, the fit of Dabo replacing Jimbo would just be so weird, so weird. But, 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 A&M's knock is that it's a cult culture, right? It's that it lives in this very unique bubble in which only certain people get. Dabo's got that at Clemson. That, like from a culture standpoint, yeah, there could be a little bit of shock. I don't really think of Dabo and think, yeah, it's a Texas guy. But a guy who's already recruited nationally has probably brought in his fair share of recruits from the state of Texas. I don't have that list right in front of me, but a guy who would be able to move the needle in so many different ways and would just be even splashier. Well, wait, the guy who had oh Claire's chiming in. She doesn't really like the idea of Dabo to to AM. Um big transfer portal, girly. 
Yeah, exactly. Wait, so you hired the guy with one ring and it didn't work out. Hire the guy with two and then you're good. That was your mistake, Anna. And their names are Jimbo and Deb. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying I'm rooting for it. I ain't rooting against it. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that, man. Uh, Listen, just give me you're research. talking to a guy who was Googling the distance between a campus and Joel Osteen's church two weeks ago because somebody was like, oh, where would Dabo fit in? And I was like, you know who seems like a, <laughs> a mega church pastor? <laughs> Texas I mean, would eat him up. Brother. They would love that. I mean, there, there are worse matches that, that I've heard. Um, <laughs> who knows? Just who knows, man? Um, okay, any other thoughts on that before we talk about actual games that were played on Saturday? Oh, let me throw like, okay, so there's two that I would be a little bit scared of there. DeBoer, like you said, though, probably going into the Big Ten. That's why you go into the Big Ten, so you'll just sure. get scoops for guys like that. I think Lance Leopold would be a pretty solid one. Um, I know maybe he's not this great recruiter or anything, but he's won the big games. He's brought Kansas out of the dumpster in a uh, reclamation project. Not really quite reclamation project here, but seems like a guy I'd love to see him with some more resources. So that seems like the pretty logical. In the old world of college football, that's who you go after. I don't know what you do now. Yeah, that that is... Hiring the Kansas coach is considered the least splashy hire. It, yeah. it just is, despite the fact that he's obviously tremendously good at his job. I don't think that they would go in that direction. Never say never, because I don't know where the search is going to go. I, I think it's going to be far and wide. I, I would love to know if they if they really have that zeroed in list of candidates. And if it's like two to three deep or they think they're going to be like, because you know, last when when this hire happened, this initial Jimbo hire happened six years ago. It was one of those things where there are a lot of people, probably even myself included, I could probably find places in which I said, "Why would Jimbo Fisher leave Florida State? Why would he leave the ACC to go compete in the SEC?" and 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 that was kind of become, becoming the consensus feeling. You know, oh, the LSU thing didn't happen. Oh, okay, so that means that that A and M will and. I think that there is, there was at, at least at the time this no, it'll never happen. No, it'll never happen. And then it just kind of happens. You're like, oh god, I guess they are willing to go to these lengths. And this hire could be like that again. It very much could be. And trying to right the wrong, trying to be able to move on, and try not to be the punching bag of college football because AM fans, I'm sorry, but that's what you are right now. That 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 is what you are. Not you specifically, but your program because of. Spending as much money as you did and to have consecutive seasons in which not, not consecutive, three consecutive seasons in which you've been wildly disappointing 11 and 11 last two seasons, not going to cut it. It's just not. So that's why we're at this point, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting week or two to hear all these. It's going to go every which way, man, every which way. All right. Actual football. Well, Let's talk about the I'm going to I'm going to dub this Superstar Saturday in the SEC. We had Jaden Daniels, Cody Schrader, mm-hmm. Jalen mm-hmm. Milrow, Brock Bowers played. We got 32 minutes into this podcast. So we talked about Brock Bowers playing four weeks to come back from tightrope surgery. Screw that. No, I'm coming back. I'm playing top 10 matchup. No big deal. I'm going to score a touchdown. Show everybody that I, that. That, that said I wasn't going to play the rest of the year, that um, they had no idea what they were talking about. I'm not an actual human being. Let's start with that one right there. Oh, and by the way, SEC Championship is officially set Georgia-Alabama, just in case you didn't realize that last week and wanted to wait for it to be official. But yes, that is locked in in the books. Ole Miss. Ole Miss fans, if you're wondering why we're being a little bit disrespectful, like, oh, they were still going to beat Georgia. 
Here's why. <laughs> you yeah. saw it. <laughs> Look, we, we saw we saw why. Um, if I had told Georgia fans that they could either beat Ole Miss by 35 or they'd get Brock Bowers back and whatever happens, happens, I think they would have taken the Ole Miss win. I think. I don't know that. You know, but I wouldn't have in any world said Georgia fans, you want both of those things? That'd be greedy. That the smile, on. the sun smiles on you once again, University of Georgia. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, no, apparently that's not greedy for Georgia. I did a 180 this week on the Brock Bowers conversations. I came into this week hearing all this stuff from Georgia about Brock Bowers playing. And at first I kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, guys, let's, let's pump the brakes. I mean, goodness, even Tua needed four weeks to come back. He had four weeks in between games, but you know, that was the short end of this and he's playing a much different position. And I was talking to to Chase Thomas about this, who who hosts Chase Thomas podcast. And he's saying, you know, I saw Cedric Tillman come back from this and wasn't the same player. And and there, there is just a different set of expectations for an in-season surgery like this. But then I thought, wait a minute. Why am I rolling my eyes when I hear Georgia fans be ambitious about Brock Bowers returning from this? This is Brock Bowers, unconfirmed human being. Of, of course he's going to come back early. Why, why wouldn't he? If there was ever a guy who was just going to scoff at the four-week minimum return from tightrope surgery, it was going to be Brock Bowers. And I am so glad that as we watch this game that we have Brock Bowers back in our lives. I don't have a dog in this fight, pun intended. Brock Bowers would be my dog in every single fight. He would. And I don't know that it's fair to say Bowers returning set the stage for that atmosphere because top 10 showdown at night in Athens, it was going to have juice no matter what. But you can't tell me that Bowers suiting up and adding another chapter to his ridiculous legacy didn't add at least some juice to that place. Herbstreit brought it up on the broadcast, Will, how amazing it was that Bowers was basically out there every snap. He said that in the fourth quarter. And on the very next play, beautiful play designed by Bobo, perfect throwing catch from Beck, from Beck to Bowers for six. The ideal exclamation point on a truly dominant victory. I mean, this guy is making me rethink what is possible of not just the tight end position in college football, but just football players in general. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say something like that. I couldn't believe he was out there in the starting lineup, and I couldn't believe he played as much as he did. But, God, it was great to see him back out there doing Brock Bowers things. Yeah, I mean, the point that I know, and mind you, like LSU photos at the same time, I don't know, on the side TV I was watching, but the point that I noticed, the point being I wasn't like watching the pregame or anything, the point that I noticed, he was just getting fully interfered with for the entirety of one play. And I was like, Oh my God, that's Brock Bowers. It's like, yeah, they're aware of him. They're scared of him already. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like the amount of fear that kind of guy coming back brings back. And this is the most like, this might just be the most Kirby one of all time. You got 300 rushing yards, 311 passing yards. All things are equal. Lad McConkey's making ridiculous grabs. You look up and Brock Bowers has a touchdown in this game. It's like everything just, this was the, when Kirby goes to sleep at night and he's dreaming little dreams, he dreams of this game. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, Ole Miss was looking like this was going to be some fun back and, back and forth high-scoring game. They have that TD on the opening drive, the lane script. It, it's humming. They're feeling mm-hmm. good. And then they have one touchdown the rest of the way. That That's it. That Georgia staff, pretty good at making those defensive adjustments. Did not matter that Jamon Dumas Johnson was out. They worked through those communication issues that they were having early on, and that was not an issue at all in the second half. 
I bought a lot of CJ Allen stock last week, and I want a lot more after seeing some of the things that he was doing and his instincts in space, man. It is not fair that Georgia can just have Nicobe Dean or Monty Rice, a guy that people forget about, Roquan Smith, like these guys who are so disciplined in the middle of that defense. It's just not afraid. They're just not afraid at all. They'll, they'll just stick their nose right into the action. Nothing's going to fool them. You're not going to get them with window dressing or anything like that. And they just blow up place like like this is just what they are built to be able to do. And for a team without a game record up front, Georgia's defense still just does some scary things like that. And, and like just being able to to go out there and, and throw out a true freshman, a talented one, obviously, but just be like, oh, yeah, you're going to go play in a top 10 showdown and you're not going to be the reason that we're on our heels all night. Instead, you're going to be one of the reasons why we win this game, why we dominate this game. Quinchon Judkins never really got into a groove after he had a nice start. Ole Miss only had 172 total yards after the first quarter. Jackson Dart kind of got sandwiched late, and I hope he's all right. I, I really do because he's had a great year. He has kind of put that those splits that I talked about coming into the season behind him, and he's actually been really good against quality competition. But, man, he needs to live to fight another day some of these times instead of just taking some of those hits, man. Just getting sandwiched between 550 pounds of meat. Golly, like <laughs> – that's what? horrible. Yeah. Like, Dude, go out of bounds. Go out of bounds. Oh, man. It, it, and he does that a lot. And that's part of the reason why I, I kind of wince watching him play. As, as much as you love that as a fan, some, some of those hits that he takes, you're just like, man, you just don't need to. There's a reason why Pat Mahomes doesn't take hits like this. Because mm -hmm. he, he wants to live to fight another day and keep playing football. And Jackson Dart, um, unfortunately, in that spot, probably wishes he could have that one back. Hopefully, he's able to go. We did see a little bit of Spencer Sanders. But this was a tough reality check. For Ole Miss, and I get that. And we talk all the time about Lane and the lack of truly elite wins that are on his resume as a head coach, and it's what prevents him from being in that tier one. But here, here's what I think is worth noting with this. This is going to sound like I'm kind of, uh, kind of giving Ole Miss fans a moral victory on the season because it's still been a season that blew out my expectations. No denying that. If you told any college football fan your team is going to face Bama, LSU, and Georgia in the regular season. What would be your hope, right? Like, just probably steal one. Tennessee got two of those last My year. Next question: Do they have Matt House? Good point. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, yes, and hopefully you can steal one. But even that wasn't a given. I mean, that was a down to the wire game. Like, Tennessee last year got two of those. They had all three of those teams on their schedule, and getting two of them felt like a really big deal. And in part because of obviously the lack of lack of success that Tennessee had in the, in the previous decade plus, but still that is just not an easy thing to do. And it's a reason why your ceiling is not as high. It's as simple as that. You face those three teams in a season. Your hope is one, two is a big deal. You're not supposed to get three. Ole Miss got one. Ole Miss is also still in really good shape to make a new year six bowl. Could be like just, Win, win the Egg Bowl and, and you're in a New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, that, that could still line up for Ole Miss. Um, and so that's kind of the silver lining, despite the fact that obviously those playoff dreams, those, uh, well, I guess the, the West title dreams came to an end with Bama beating Kentucky. But um, any outside chance that you had of being like a one-loss, non-division champ team to sneak into the playoff with some chaos, that is now off the table in a very humbling way against the two-time defending national champs. Yeah, I think that uh, it's. I, I think there's kind of that you know the hard ceiling we talk about at Ole Miss, and you know unfortunately if you know last week we were coming here and talk about how Mizzou 
balled out, played their butts off, made it a fourth quarter game. Really impressed me, you know, in a loss. I think Ole Miss kind of did the opposite of that, I'll be honest with you. Like, I think that, you know, not all wins, not all seasons are created the same. Um, I think that we still have some of the same questions about Lane. Um, you know, the wilted in the back half of the Bama game, came against Georgia and lost by what felt like a billion. Um, yeah, I don't think it says anything about, like, oh, uh, this is a, a, an indictment or anything. It just didn't. This this was a season that could have changed perception about Lane and Ole Miss, and I think this was just kind of on the upper end of what they we thought they were capable of. I don't think this changed my opinion of Ole Miss. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I was definitely early on with Lane, and this is year four, so – that's not early by SEC standards, but I was the the person saying it's so stupid if we cap the ceiling at what they did in 2021 with Matt Corral. And if we say this is as good as Ole Miss can be, I've definitely come around a lot more to that. I, I, I think that there is definitely a case to be made. And you see even like, you know, they just don't have the depth on the offensive line right now. They, they're dealing with offensive line. It looks like they were going to be healthy coming into this home stretch of the season. It turns out they're not. They're still trying to move pieces around and make it work. You just can't do that against a team like Georgia. Even a team like Georgia that doesn't have its, you know, stud linebacker available, you're just going to be in over your head in that atmosphere on the road. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's perfectly fair to say these are what, this is what the ceiling looks like. And it's still so much higher than it's been throughout the vast majority of your program's history. And oh, this is still massive for like this hire was amazing. It's worked out really well for you. You yep. kept playing, you know, from the Auburn job and everything. And it's like, I think this is your dream as Ole Miss is your fun. I think they're a super fun team. I think every week you could tell yourself we could beat anybody, you know, they sure. could upset some, some teams. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, this is where college football gets lost, especially with the expansion of the playoff, and everything. It's like, I think Ole Miss fans are super happy right now. I don't think that it's like, you know I mean? The last you know, championship or uh, common championship was in like the sixties. I think that being right there and having a chance, you know, especially with, you know, the way things are going, you know, Saban can't be at Alabama forever. You know, Brian Kelly, you never know what he's going to be on a year to year basis. So they being a team that has a chance to sneak up and just kind of capitalize on some of this misfortune. And you could make that argument. Bama was kind of there this year, but I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that it's going to be this. While Ole Miss's talent and ability, I think, feels pretty right here, there's no guarantee that the SEC is just always going to be, or the SEC, well, there will be no SEC West. But, you know, I don't know. It's 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 super interesting when you think about what the future is. I mean, this team, I think, could be fighting with the playoff. Well, th- yeah, think about that. If this were 2024, we would say mm-hmm. it's a bummer that Ole Miss just got rolled by Georgia. But at the same time, they are still in really good position to be able to make the college football playoff. And the perspective of that changes. And who knows? Maybe if we'd be talking about a first-round matchup of Ole Miss and Ohio State or Ole Miss and Notre Dame, Ole Miss and Florida State, something like that, we're just like, what if Ole Miss won a playoff game? That yeah. That's going to change for a, a lot of different teams. That, that will change the perspective of how we view you on a national stage. And Ole Miss is one of the teams that could stand to benefit from it, despite the fact that I think we have a pretty hard ceiling of who they are within the SEC confines. As for Georgia, I'm we ready. Know who they are. We know who Georgia is. <laughs> I'm now officially ready for Georgia to be number one. I am. When that Tuesday ranking show comes out, I'm ready to bang the drum that Georgia deserves to be on that top line. And you can tell me it doesn't matter. This will all sort itself out. But to beat consecutive top 15 teams, it and and not have I, I mean Mizzou was a nine point win. I still think it was we'd call it a fourth quarter game, not a down to the wire game. I guess is probably the the better way to to say it. It can be convincing without being a blowout. Yeah. Yes. I mean Mizzou had a chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter. Georgia holding on to a twenty seven twenty one win. The Stackhouse interception. 
obviously put that to bed. Mm-hmm. The legendary Stackhouse interception. But both of those teams have just two losses, Ole Miss and Mizzou. Those wins stack up with what Ohio State has, the Notre Dame-Penn State combo. I would argue that Georgia being that decisive against Ole Miss, I, I think that makes their resume better. I do at this point. I think it makes it better than Ohio State's. I don't think yeah. they can just default to those two wins anymore without giving Georgia that kind of respect. And obviously they still have the one more top 25 showdown against Tennessee coming up to be able to get through this stretch. But to me, I think they have already earned the right to be considered number one. It's just more of a talking point. Now, obviously Kirby loves, loves having a little bit of juice to talk about that in the pregame. He's like, yeah, people are still doubting us. He's still got his entire locker room believing that it's unbelievable despite the fact that they've won 27 games in a row and just had a winning streak that is longer than any that Nick Saban has had at Alabama, which is crazy to think about. But still, I think Georgia would be at number one. And if they were at number two, I think Kirby would actually have a legitimate gripe that his team's not being respected. Yeah, I mean, that's the best part. It's like they're like the anti-Ohio State. It's like the most dangerous team in America is number two, Georgia. It's like, oh, if you got to give us that little extra ump to get up. Yeah, I think Kirby would rather be number two until, you know, New Year's Eve. I think I think that because I think they're at a point, too, where they really could beat anybody. I mean, it, it match up. We're not trying to hide from somebody. There's not some big team at the top or like creeping up like a one-loss team that you're worried about if you're Georgia. So, yeah, I think it's all just fun and games at this point, and there's really not – Again, I want to once again joke about Georgia's schedule. It's like, are you all happy now? Like, literally, you have, you're going to, like you said, you're going to get Tennessee coming in. You got Mizzou, who we just talked about. Great. I mean, rolled this week, that Mizzou team. Amazing. And then also, yeah, I mean, Ole Miss, who beat LSU, has been, you know, right there. You know, like I said, yeah, they collapsed against Alabama, but it was one of Alabama's more, you know, uh, competitive games. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much the, the jokes about the schedule, which, as we always talk about, Oklahoma thing getting, getting, destroyed by like new college football nothing they could have done about that but yeah i think this is this is turning into a very strong schedule and when you end up playing and i think probably eventually beating alabama in the sc championship it's going to be just another trophy on the wall you know yeah and i i don't think that's that's necessarily a a given but i think for right now i I think their resume is is stacking up really really well you know who knows how to put a spy on the quarterback (laughs) kirby smart i don't think you've let that happen before quarter this is true good point Let's talk about that Mizzou team that rolled on Saturday. Mizzou fans, I need you to do me a favor. I I don't want you to look at the timestamp right now and say, Connor, how did you get this deep into the podcast before shouting out Mizzou? First of all, I did bring up Cody Schrader earlier in the pod, so don't hold me to the fire too much. The plan we had was to not, laugh at Jimbo and Ole Miss, our two favorite look, things. You're right there. You're number three. <laughs> did not plan on having a half hour of talking about Jimbo Fisher and that coming to an end in College Station. So that was not the plan for today. I usually reserve Toby Keith games for coaches. I think it's just a little bit, you know, kind of see the similarities. I'm going to make an exception because Cody Schrader just had himself a how do you like me now game. Well, that was Mm -hmm. unbelievable. First SEC player to ever, ever have 200 rushing yards and 100 receiving yards in the same game. He had 316 or my bad. I sold him short. 326 scrimmage yards on 40 touches. 40 touches. Ooh. He's He was unreal, man. Unreal. Not bad for a former D2 transfer who Drink gave a spot to as a walk-on. was like, yeah, he'd be six on a running back depth chart. I'm sure. I, I, I look forward to you playing a lot of snaps, a lot of confidence in that. But, man, he, even had, he was so dialed in 
that his most impressive play of the day might have been at the end of the first half where he gets that run up the middle and the clock is is winding down. They need to be able to, to get they still had two timeouts left, I think. And he needs to be able to get down so that Mevis can can attempt a long field goal. And he does that even on a play where he sets him up in the middle of the field and he's not like going out of bounds. And it's not a play that takes too long. And he goes down at the exact right time. It sets up that field goal. At the time, it felt significant because you're like, all right, it's 13 to seven. This is going to be a kind of a, you know, a 60 minute low scoring type game. Every point matters. Milton this game was the most insane throw so far. God, that game opened up so fun and just ended in a beatdown. Yep. Yeah, it did, man. It, it really, really did. It was not decided by a field goal. It was a statement from Mizzou. Loud statement. Biggest win in a decade. Biggest win of the playoff era for those Missouri Tigers. First time winning a matchup of ranked teams since the A&M Manziel game 2013 that clinched Mizzou's East title. I mean, that wow. that right there. They blew the opportunity against LSU, it felt like, and they were able to to, to come back and, and beat a Tennessee team that was in the top 15. First time beating top 15 teams at home, multiple top 15 teams at home in the same season since 1976. This is the first time that they've had four consecutive sellouts since the Jimmy Carter administration, Will. Oh, man. Record yeah. falling left and right. Left and right, all over the place. This... Uh, this was a beatdown, and, and I'll admit, I was wrong to say that Luther Burden's status would flip how I felt about this. I, I said Mizzou, I, I would pick to win, knowing like as long as Burden is out there, and if he's not, then I wouldn't. He played, but he really wasn't himself, and I know that he had the late touchdown. Nice little design by Kirby Moore to, to kind of get him feeling good about his performance in space there. Um, but Mizzou had 300 yards in the first half, and Burden had five of them. That, mm-hmm. That's it. I thought Mizzou was was playing so well early on. Even though Brady Cook had a little bit of a slow start, that pick, you're like, oh, this is 2021 Brady Cook. That's not the guy that they need to be able to win a game like this in the year 2023. Mizzou loses their leading tackle, Hopper, and you're just kind of like, oh, no big deal. They're, they're going to find a way, and they did. They hammered a, a top 15 team. And while I think Tennessee has its issues, for Mizzou to, to win this game so convincingly, we got peak drink peak drink we had the icy handshake with hypo last year the blowout is he running off the score is he not flip the script down 36 to 7 josh hypo wanted a field goal in the final minute drink called a timeout to ice him tennessee missed the field goal post-game interview on cbs drink said there was some unfinished business from last year he declared mizzou the tennessee state champs oh i love that oh i love that Man, Mizzou became the first team to ever beat four FBS teams from the state of Tennessee in the same season. What a wild, weird stat that is. He also added, yeah, our defense kicked Tennessee's ass. Yep, they did. Seven points. That is the lowest for a Josh Heupel coach team, not just at Tennessee, but at UCF as well. Lowest since, I went back and looked this up, the lowest offensive output for Heupel since his days as a coordinator with Mizzou. The last mm. time that Josh Heupel had an offensive day that bad was against who? There's less than 1% chance you can name this unless you already looked this up too. Oh, man. Oh, uh, I'm going to say Kentucky. It's not a bad guess, but no. Um, Purdue. 
Purdue. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was not going to get yeah. that. That's funny. Yeah, nobody, nobody was thinking Purdue. Tennessee averaged 228 rushing yards coming into this one. They finished with 83. They led the nation with an average of 194 rushing yards via the tailbacks. Those guys combined for 47. I have no idea why Dylan Sampson didn't get a carry until like late in the third quarter. And I'm pretty sure it was called back on a holding penalty. Anyways, Tennessee had four offensive series in the first half. Mizzou executed that game plan and a rhythm offense had no chance to get in rhythm. That was bad. And Tennessee had some dumb turnovers. The Jalen Wright fumble was really unfortunate. Milton's hand on one of those passes where he's got his running back just to his right and he hits the running back and it's a fumble. And there's, that's kind of a weird freaky thing. And then obviously the pick six did not help matters for Tennessee, but the moral of the story, Mizzou was really good. Mizzou was a darn good football team, man. Like there is no reason why this team should not go 10 and two earn a new Year's six bowl bid and feel awesome about the year that they had. And again, another team, like we talked about with Ole Miss, if this were a year later, we'd be talking about Mizzou potentially setting up for a playoff berth. And that's mm-hmm. that's how perspective will, will change. Because a lot of people in a game like this are like, oh, yeah, you know what? Both of these teams have multiple losses. Doesn't impact the playoff. I'm not really going to care. Never mind the fact that it's 330 CBS. Like, ah, oh, whatever. It's a fun story. No, Mizzou, Mizzou is just good. Mizzou is good. They have so many different ways in which they can beat you. And I thought Burden not being the best version of himself in this one and still having that kind of performance, that to me was so telling. And Tennessee is not going to make it back to a New Year's Six Bowl unless they beat Georgia and then get some help to be able to get in there. Nine and three is kind of like, oh, you're pushing it. So probably not going to happen. But Mizzou is still very much in line for that. A loud statement by the home Tigers on Saturday. I joke a lot about statement wins on here because everyone, you know, everyone wants to talk about, oh, is it, you know, a lot of games, a couple of plays, you know, that could go from a blowout to a closing. This was a statement. This was like when they got out there, you talked about classic of both of these teams, you know, a 20 play drive for Mizzou that ended in three <laughs> points. And then boom, other side of that six plays, ridiculous touchdown for Tennessee. And you're like, oh God, here it comes. You know, here's Hypo versus drink. You got the guy who's got this fast offense, da, da, da. And no, they just came out there and beat the stew out of them. I mean, everything that Tennessee does well. And like, I, I texted you about like the the throw. I went back and watched that throw that uh, Milton had. The Dante, had. Thornton. The, the Dante yes. Thornton throw, yeah. Yes, that was one of the most confusing looking touchdowns I've ever seen. That ball hung in the air for a full five seconds. And if you're sitting there at home, I want you to count out five Mississippi right now and think about a football being in the air that long and how effortlessly he threw that football. I was thinking to myself, I texted you, I was like, if I could do that, they'd have to bench me because I'd do it 10 times a game. I would just be letting that thing fly. But Joe Milton is built from a different cloth. He does not want to throw the ball down the field. He's 6'5". He does not want to run people over. Me, I would be dunking on people in my free time. I'd be at the UT Rec Center just dunking on freshmen and then just sitting in the quad launching footballs over just like, hey, hey, pretty lady, how's it going? I would be like an Instagram account. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't have that dog in him. They can't generate deep plays for whatever reason. And this is just a great example of like, this is what I was worried about when Heupel came to the SEC is against these type of teams. And he would be the guy that we saw at Mizzou with Drew Locke who would put up all these gaudy numbers where it didn't matter. And then he would just turtle in these big games. And it's exactly what it was. And I'll just say one thing about Drink too. You know, Drink is a guy that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way over the last couple of years where he struggled. Um, but he was a guy that, you know, we early, like, you know, he's a friend of the pod and everything. And I'm glad that 
he has made this interesting because he's an interesting dude. I think that it's underrated how kind of like quirky and funny he is. And when he's winning, how he does like this fun, like, you know, the Tennessee State Championship stuff. I want as many personalities as possible in college football. I I hate like the boring guys. And so, yeah, I think that this is a guy that like his team being good and kind of wacky is like really fun as a casual viewer. Yeah, if he gets up there on the postgame broadcast in CBS and is just saying, oh, Tennessee, that, that's a great football team out there. I'm so proud of our guys. Just rally the troops. That's what like 95% of coaches say in that spot. And we've heard that a million times over. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to criticize a coach for saying that. But I'm also not going to shun a coach when he actually goes after the opposing team. He calls them out. He does petty stuff. I've been saying for a bit, I think we need more of that in the SEC. It's he's not he's he's not Steve Spurrier, obviously, but we need a little bit of that Spurrier vibe at times. And it's kind of fun to see that play out and in a game like that, in which, yeah, he's feeling himself. You better believe he's feeling good. He just had his best moment probably as a head coach, including his time at App State. And he's like, Man, this this is how it's supposed to feel. I look, I, I've been hearing I've been hearing doubt and understandably so when you're stuck on that plateau and we say, oh, we think you have a hard ceiling. And then you show everybody, no, 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 no. We, we do not have a hard ceiling. We're going to go. Be, we're going to go out. And we're going to beat a Tennessee team that everybody was picking to beat us in the preseason. And understandably so. Bummer for Tennessee, by the way, that Dante Thornton had that play a play that Tennessee fans probably thought they were going to be seeing week after week after week after he transferred from Oregon, had all of that buzz in camp, and he gets hurt on that, his first touchdown as of all. And you're just like, man, that's kind of it's kind of been oh, the wow. year. Yeah, kind of kind of been what it's what it's felt like at times for this passing game is one step forward, two steps back. They've obviously really missed Brew McCoy, but suddenly depth is just kind of an issue in the Tennessee passing game. And when you don't necessarily have a guy that's going to make everybody else better in that regard. I don't think that's what Joe Milton is built to do. Um, That's not to say he doesn't have skills. And I I think that he was playing really well coming into this, but you see what it can look like against a really good defense. That's fired up. That's disciplined. And Blake Baker was that group was one step ahead the entire day. And even that play, it's like, it's man coverage. You know, Dante Thornton makes a really nice play and a beautiful ball by Joe Milton. You're like, all right, Sometimes that happens. If they if they could take advantage of man coverage in a spot like that, you'll give it to them. But more times than not, they were able to 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 confuse that that Tennessee offense and and prevent them from being able to string scoring drives together. And it, you're right, it was a loud loud statement for Mizzou. George's resume gets a little bit better, but then also you're like, all right, going into the Tennessee game, it's a little bit worse knowing that they're not going to be in the top 15. But still, um, the East has a legitimate second second place team, and it's very clearly Mizzou, even though this was a second place game of sorts, this was a game that Mizzou won decidedly. And it kind of confirmed what they showed at Georgia, in my opinion. If you were saying that this team is a fraud, nah, I don't think you watched on Saturday and felt like this team was a fraud. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about your game, Will? Let's do it. Sure. Florida and LSU. I am old enough to remember when I wasn't sure if Jaden Daniels was going to play football on Saturday. It wasn't that long ago. It was probably like eh, probably Wednesday, actually. Yeah, Wednesday, late Wednesday was the last time I thought to myself, oh, man, we might see Garrett Nussmeyer in this game. Mm-mm, nope. Jaden played, and he got every blade of grass that he wanted. Every one of them. A oh. touching tribute to Les Miles. Every blade <laughs> of grass disintegrated. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. 604 total yards in this game. First player in FBS 
history with 300 <laughs> passing yards and 200 rushing yards in a game. Longest run by an LSU quarterback ever. Well, longest touchdown run. 85 yards to the house. Just scooting at, at, at a level that, man, I didn't even think he had that kind of speed in his bag. And I, I feel like we've praised him at every turn this year. Well, we're kind of numb to gaudy quarterback numbers. Okay. I think I think we are in, in this era, this pass heavy era of this of the sport. You know what I'm not numb to? Hmm. 12 carries for 234 rushing yards by a quarterback. <laughs> the dude averaged 19 and a half yards per carry. That is the type of line that you would see from Michael Vick playing in high school or something. And you're like, <laughs> Oh, okay. So just nobody could tackle him. And then you see that you see, and you're like, oh yeah, Mike, Michael Vick should not be on the same, the same field as all of those guys. That's what it the felt numbers like. that make you question the competition where it's like, oh, is he in two a, like, all right, man, like Derek Henry. Is high school Seriously. Like, all right, Derek Henry is playing high school competition. Come on, get out of here with that. He looked so vastly better than anybody on that defense. And I'm pretty sure at one point, Jaden just felt bad that Brian Thomas got a holding penalty that took part of that Malik neighbors catch and run off the, like he still had the catch, but it was like a holding penalty kind of laid into it. And, you know, they had to bring it back a little bit and Jaden, I'm assuming just felt bad that Brian Thomas got that called on him. So on the very next play, he just throws that dime to him in the back of the end zone. And you're like, how is it this easy? How is this guy making this, this sport, in every facet, look that easy. And Brian Kelly, Wait, nice little pass. I'll do stats. you one better, real quick. I'll do you one better at the at the goal line. And it, like an important sequence, snap the ball. Brian Thomas wide open. Looks at Brian Thomas. Looks in the middle of the field. Sees neighbors open as well. Looks again. He's got five six seconds to look around. Hits Noah Kane. I swear he goes. Noah Kane's been playing really hard in practice. I think he deserves a touchdown. I swear to God, Brian Thomas was open that whole play. It was his first read. He looks at him and he goes, too easy. Let me hit no okay. <laughs> Will, I had the same thought as you. I had the same thought. Of you. At that point, it was, let's get this guy involved, man. He's been he's been kind of what we – look, he, he, he's, he hasn't necessarily had things go his way. I know Noah Kane's an all-bang the drum team member from a couple years ago, but let's let's get that guy some love. Let's. You're, you're right. He was that dialed in. He could just do whatever he wanted. And I, I thought at the end there – you, you're seeing a coach who wants his player to win the Heisman Trophy. There's no yep. doubt. No doubt whatsoever. The little pop pass at the end makes it look like it's a run, but it's really not. And it's a nice little way to give Jaden a TD pass. Brian, Brian yep. Thomas, yeah. Uh, really smart move. Jaden earned those numbers. I mean, let's not pretend like this is just Brian Kelly being Brian Kelly. But he wants his quarterback to win the award. You're not playing for an SEC title. You are probably not getting to a New Year's Six Bowl. Or if you are, you just never know. You could have opt-outs, whatnot. Mm -hmm. It could be a much different game than what you've seen from your team in the regular season. Getting Jaden Daniels to New York would be Brian Kelly's first Heisman finalist on the offensive side of the ball. Manti Teo got there in 2012. People forget that. Yeah. Here's what I'll say about that. I said to Bear Felica on this show a couple of weeks ago, that there was probably not a world in which Jaden could win the Heisman if he lost to Bama. I'm walking that back. I hate that I said that. I wish I, I wish I could just edit that out of the podcast that I said that because I am prepared to fight anyone who dismisses what he is doing. If someone tells you 
that J.J. McCarthy and his eight passes in a make-or-break game is more worthy of the Heisman than Jaden Daniels, you can just walk away from that conversation. Don't use violence. It's not worth your time. Right. If that doesn't work, as I tweeted. Because you know it'll be caught on tape. So if you say something, you know, it'll come back to haunt you. Yeah, like whatever. Fight <laughs> the Michigan fan. Yeah, just just don't do it. Uh, they're, they're recording it. They're always recording it. They're always wearing two pieces of gear uh, as per mm-hmm. the Michigan standard. But, you know, all you got to do, just maybe if you don't want to slap them physically, just slap them with a little knowledge. That's all you got to do. He is now over 4,000 yards, 38 total touchdowns. That is with two pre-Heisman games left. Georgia State is basura against the pass. I know we don't disrespect Sean Elliott on this show, friend of the program. They're basura against the pass. A&M has been bad against good offenses. And after the way that things have played out in College Station, who knows? This could be a a we-are-checked-out scenario for all the defensive talent that they have there. I won't rule out Jaden scoring six touchdowns in each of the next two weeks, hitting 50 touchdowns, and following the 2007 Tim Tebow path to the award. I don't think that's crazy. Tebow, RG3, Lamar, they all won the Heisman with three pre-Heisman losses. You cannot tell me, as we sit here, post-week 11, that Jaden Daniels has not been one of the three best players in college football. It's as simple as that. He was unbelievable. And I I just pictured you watching this entire game with just ear-to-ear smile on your face. Well, with the exception of the the Andre Sam targeting call, and there's probably a couple other things that really upset you. Yeah, I, I felt this way. I mean, the thing is, this game played out to me a lot like the Bama game where we were playing against LSU's defense and the officiating for the entire game. Thank goodness they had Billy Napier instead of Nick Saban. I mean, I, I was never afraid of losing this game. Thank goodness. I mean, that defense, it was just that there was no sense of communication. It was knifing down the field. I literally, even when they got ahead, it, LSU fumbled a, a kickoff. And I went, okay. I mean, LSU, <laughs> there was not a second in this game where I felt like Billy Napier was going to beat us. They did so much stuff wrong early. They, I mean, Graham Burtz is exactly who I thought he was in the postseason or the preseason. I will say this, though, going back to that, because – Credit to John, who asked me this question. Uh, Connor, just random pop quiz. Do you know what the most rushing yards Tim Tebow ever had in the game was? That's a good question. I'm going to say, hmm. I'm going to it's not 200, is it? Mm-mm. Yeah, it's, uh, I've, I've looked this up at some point. Is it like 185? Mm-mm. Give me, don't do the thing that Lauren does where, where like I guess something and she doesn't give me higher or lower afterwards. You got to give me something lower, way lower. lower. Okay. Um, I'm going to say 164. Wow. You're almost on the head. So it's 166. He got that in 07 one time against Ole Miss. Uh, Jaden Daniels got 163 last week against Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And this week he got, yeah. So <laughs> that yeah. Jaden Daniels has almost equaled Tebow's wow. career high rushing yards. Two games in a row uh, against Alabama and Florida. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, as much as I thought that, you know, Florida and also Brian Kelly, if you want to ingratiate yourself with the people of Louisiana, you did it. Okay. You ran up the score in Florida, you dumped on the SEC officiating on the way out, and you tried to get your guy a Heisman. I have never been more Brian Kelly than after that game. Dude was furious on the sidelines. He was about to get ejected. He was just like me for real. I've never spent a second of my life relating to Brian Kelly until last night. 
Man, uh, I thought it was going to get weird. I, I thought it was going to get on that fumbled kickoff. I thought, oh mm-hmm. boy, this is this is why this game. You just never turn your back on it. I brought up the stat in the preview pod: eleven consecutive games in which this matchup was decided by fourteen points or less. Nope. And yet, <laughs> how many? Of, how many of the last five they win? None. They have won five consecutive against Florida. That is the longest winning streak ever for LSU in this rivalry. It is still wild to me that the last time Florida beat LSU is 2018. And it was a game that I was at. And Joe Burrow was on the losing end. Joe Burrow. Yep. I mean, Joe, a Joe Burrow pick six is the reason. I mean, not the reason because they would have won the game without it. They still needed to march on the field and score. But like that's, that is the going to be associated with the last Florida win against LSU. Um, for a minute, I thought maybe Florida was going to make this one of those games in which they're, they go – from a 10-point deficit to a three-point deficit the entire fourth quarter or something because that Louisiana running back duo, Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. Etienne, man, jeez. How many times (laughs) a day do you think to yourself, it would have been – and I look, look, LSU's ground game has been really good this year, a game in which they didn't even have Logan Diggs available and Jaden was that good, all the more impressive, and their ground game has been great this year. But you've got to think to yourself, man – just one ETM would have been cool. Just one, you know? I mean, look, if we had Diggs and played him the way they played Johnson, where he's actually an effective early down running back, it would be, yeah. I couldn't imagine this offense being better, but that would be it. Yeah. A read option between... Anyway. <laughs> but they were, they were good. Florida's defense, anything but good. They allowed 701 yards of offense. That's the most in a game in program history. Most ever. <laughs> How many? 701. Yeah. Lining up against the LSU Tigers and being the worst defense is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. But they did that. They did. Um, they they just couldn't stop anything. Couldn't stop anything. If they couldn't run the ball too, I mean they run the ball, they ran the ball well, but their defense would have been out there even more. They would have been even yep. more gas. Or you know what? Maybe they wouldn't have, because Jaden just gets forty yard touchdown here, eighty five yard touchdown run there, and it didn't really matter. Four consecutive games for this Florida defense in which they've allowed at least 39 points. And you look at the upcoming schedule and you go, oh, uh, Cody Schrader, <laughs> the guy who just uh, just had that historic day, he's next. Oh, those Florida State receivers with probably the closest duo and you know Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman. If there is a duo that is similar to what LSU has, it resides in Tallahassee. So there's that. Mm, don't know where those answers are coming from for the Florida defense. I do not really, really bad. I am officially not too low on Florida. How about that? Because I had Florida at seven and five this Mm -hmm. season. They're five and five. So if anything, I'm probably going to be too high on them because I don't think they're winning these last two based on how bad they look on defense. They just don't have a chance. They just don't have a chance. And they're not built to play from from a deficit that's just not the way that this team is is designed with what billy is trying to do offensively so yeah uh tough one to stomach tough one to stomach on the florida side not so much on the lsu side yeah i think um yeah i mean the commentator saying they got to rebuild from the high school ranks was wild you know they got this great recruiting class i think the future is you know still you're already looking cole's right no cole's cole's right like look billy's billy's had some great portal evaluations but that's how you said you were going to do this. And that, look, you're going to have to be even more aggressive in the portal, probably, because everybody's going to have you on the hot seat list. That That's right. reality. But 
you're going to be like, they talked about the ebbs and flows of the portal with some of these teams. And I think Cole's hundred percent right because you look at what Michigan state did early on, even Colorado, everybody's giving them all this praise early on. And it's like, Oh yeah, it's actually a little bit tougher to establish a foundation if you're doing it this way. So I, I agree. I think they, they do need to rely more so on the high school ranks and that's where you've had success so far. So like, it's just not, it wasn't going to be an overnight thing. It should be better at this point though. It just should. Yeah, I just I'm so fascinated by this team. And like you said, dude, I, I keep saying it. I hate to keep saying it, but it's like we've been so kind of on the money about this team. I think again, didn't see the Arkansas game coming. Who among us? It was the first time that team had ever won in Gainesville. And again, Billy Napier 2-0 versus history in the last two weeks, allowing the first loss to Arkansas in Gainesville. And then also program record for yards. So yeah, I mean Austin Armstrong, uh I never really had a scouting. It wasn't like I was in or out on the guy, but I, I don't know how I mean I guess you keep him, but uh, I don't do know you? what do you will? I don't. That's the thing. I don't know. I mean, you would assume he's high, high in recruiting these guys that are coming in, like Wardell Mack and those boys. But yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I think that like, I, I mean, they're just a team that have gotten run all over by Ray Davis. And like at the time, remember what I said? I said, is it that this Florida defense is fraudulent or is it that Ray Davis is that good? And at the time we we're like, Ray Davis is that good. Very simple. I think that might have been more an indictment on Arsenal Armstrong looking back. And Ray Davis is fine. He's a great player. But we, based on, you know, 200 yards, almost and a half, and all those touchdowns, like, we were thinking he would be locked for first-team SEC, which he – I mean, he's, he's right there, but I don't think he's been – like, Schrader has probably passed him since then. So, point being, yeah, I just – I don't know what this team does well. I've said it since Billy got there. He drops to 11 and 12 since he's gotten to Florida. Um, uh, they now fall behind – in the LSU Florida series every week. I feel like a new graphic is coming up, but at the same time, if I'm Florida, I wouldn't fire him because I think it's such a rebuild. And like, I've been such a, a guy of saying, you know, get those losers out of there. I think you got, this is the last year that you have any excuses for that, you know, from any of the, any of the Mullen guys. So I think they got to win next year. And as we've talked about, it's the hardest schedule ever. So yeah. I think merch probably tries to come back. Yeah, I would, I would assume so too you can't be playing as many freshmen against that schedule as you're playing against the schedule this year. It's, it's pretty mm -hmm. simple. And that's where they're really going to need to, to lean on that portal. And it's not going to be an excuse late in the season. If you're lacking from depth because you're three, that's, that just doesn't fly. It just doesn't. And uh, I, I, I wonder what that's going to look like. And I wonder if Billy is going to sit down and say, man, I, I, I don't think we can, run it back with a, with a coordinator when we had six consecutive bad games to end the season, because that's what they're staring at. They've had four yep. consecutive bad defensive games and they could very easily have six. If Mizzou does what it's been doing and Florida state does what it's been doing. Well, I guess they had and, a rough Saturday, but still. And also I'll say like, you know, this is just goes to share like sliding doors because if Jaden Daniels is not tough as freaking nails and just says, Oh yeah, I think I'll set this Florida one out. Got to worry about my NFL draft stock. Da, da, da. Very real chance. Florida wins this game. I mean, LSU did so many things. I'm, haven't even talked about the officiating. Not worth it. That didn't matter. Uh, but <laughs> didn't matter. Uh, but point being, like, I, I think that like if Nussmeyer plays in this game and Daniels doesn't, and we remove the you know six hundred and you know whatever yards Jaden had by himself, this game is probably favors Florida. But alas, you know things are different. They'd be different. So yeah, it's 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 hard to just be like, oh, LSU is just so clearly a better team than Florida after this game because so much of it was one guy. But that guy's still on LSU, so we'll see when it matters. I might just start muting everybody that suggests a player should sit the rest of the yeah. season. Just automatic mute. I think I've, I felt like I've muted Emmanuel Acho and he's still coming up in my timeline. I don't like that. I maybe I need to block him altogether. I'm not a block guy. It, it gives too much satisfaction to the other end. I'm a mute guy. 
Yep. Might have to do something like that. All right, Alabama, Kentucky. If you didn't watch this game, here is everything you need to know. By the time Kentucky attempted its fifth offensive play, Bama was up 21 to nothing. The inverse of Kentucky's performance against Florida was this, basically. Couldn't stop Jalen Monroe. Had a three and out. Couldn't stop Jalen Monroe again. Barry on Brown fumble. Easy score. Giving me flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> He's running yes. again. Sorry. Uh, I hadn't really seen a first round knockout like that from Bama all year. I did think there was a moment when Kentucky could make things interesting in the third quarter. Bama was up 28-14. Crowd is on its feet. Bama's got third and 17. Jalen Milrow, no big deal. Gets a perfectly clean pocket. Wasn't sacked in this game, by the way. Steps into a beautiful throw, crossing route. Kobe Prentice, 30 yards. That was it. Milrow was brilliant. He was awesome. And I was definitely ready for the Ty Simpson experience after Milrow took that hit to his thigh in the opening drive. I was like, oh boy, things are about to get really, really interesting. He looked pretty shaken up. I mean, they were showing him on the ground. He's attended to by trainers, goes to the sideline. He sits for one play. He had a few moments where he was limping. He had to keep, you know, the, there's, I don't know if it's like a deep thigh bruise, whatever it was. Jordan was talking about it on the broadcast, but something that continues to to ramp up the pain as the game goes on and you got to keep it loose on the sideline on the exercise bike. So he was doing that, played through it, didn't matter. Three rushing TDs, three passing TDs, first player in Bama history to do that. When he starts doing those little Bryce Young flips, I'm telling you right now, live bet Bama. Live bet Bama, bet the over, do whatever you need to do because that is the sign that Jalen Milrow is dialed in. When he can just flick it out there and he sees that guy in space and he's already rolled out of the pocket, just forget about it. And he had a bad turnover in this game. Had a bad turnover where if you just look at that, you're saying, ah, he's making some of the same mistakes they did early in the season. Nah, you know what? It was... Instead of doing the thing where he drifts out of bounds that I that I hate and he takes a four-yard loss that he doesn't need to when he could have just thrown it out of bounds, he decided to throw it across his body. Bad decision. When you can be as good as he was, though, outside of that, doesn't really matter. Listen, Jalen uh, Milrow, we've discussed this. It's like a cat having a little salami. Jalen Milrow can have a little turnover as a treat, okay? Only if he's playing well. <laughs> Do cats like salami? Is that a thing? I didn't know. That. It's, it's like a meme from Twitter. It's like cats can't have a little salami. Jalen Miller, if you don't waddle out of bounds, if you're hitting the guys deep, you could just throw one yeah. to somebody down there somewhere. It, it keeps you in rhythm. It keeps you. It keeps people doubting you. There you go. Yeah, that, it keeps. Hey, he went on with my friends uh, at the next round, and he <laughs> he uh, he called out my guy LT because LT was uh, Lance Taylor. For those who don't know, who was saying like that. Early in the season, he's kind of doubting him. He's like, I don't really think this guy has kind of has that it factor that these guys who have come before him had. And and Jalen was just like, Yeah, thank you. Like you're you're the reason. Like you're you are people like you keep me going. And he looks like a guy that is just on a different level. Didn't even have Jermaine Burton, who has become his go-to target, even though we are admittedly not Burton guys. Yep. Did not matter in, in a game like this. He just shows massive improvement. The pocket presence is getting so much better. Tommy Reese is so much more comfortable calling plays to Milrow's skill set. And it's obvious. Didn't even matter that Kentucky had a game wrecker like Deion Walker. Never, like, didn't even get mentioned in this game, I, I felt like, because the Bama offensive line was that good and Milrow was that good behind it. His path to New York was a topic of conversation after this one. It's at least a conversation. And I'm not sure that it's ever been a late season conversation 
for a quarterback who was benched in season and missed a start for a non-injury, non-disciplinary reason. I don't know that that has happened, but he is up to 28 touchdowns. We always talk about 40 touchdowns as that magic number. It's not official. That's more so like, oh, 40 touchdowns to be able to win the Heisman. But you can kind of wiggle around that if, you know, certain things are working in your favor outside of that. His path to New York, and I don't think his path is winning the Heisman, but I think his path to New York is having Mm -hmm. the 2020 season. That is 20 rushing TDs, 20 passing touchdowns. He needs four more passing touchdowns to get there. He's at 16 right now. He needs eight more rushing touchdowns to be able to get there. He's got three games to do that. And if he does that and clinches it against Georgia, he would still need to look very good in Atlanta. And he could look good in a loss and maybe still have a path to be able to get to Atlanta, depending on what those numbers look like. But I would say if I'm betting right now that he probably won't get there. And I only say that because there are some guys who have really looked apart from start to finish. Even if that's the case, that shouldn't overshadow how important Milrow's improvement has been. And like you said, he feeds off the doubt. That's kind of who he's been. Maybe it's a good thing. Bama doesn't need another guy getting to New York. You know, they've had plenty of those. That's not going to move the needle for them as a program. I can't right. wait for Jalen Milrow against Georgia's defense. I want that matchup. I need that matchup. It's going to be awesome with the player that Milrow has become. Yeah, I mean, hey, Bama fans have spent years convincing people that 2020 season matters, so they could just do it one more time. Um, no, but actually, I'm excited for um, I'm excited for another offseason with Milrow. He actually seems – I actually really like him. He's like the most that we've talked about. He's like the most I've liked the Bama player in a really long time. And he uh, – I'm really excited to see, not to like already turn the clock forward, but I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if Auburn's, <laughs> maybe, maybe this will be some crazy, but like we can kind of already start looking at the SC championship game and I'm excited to see what, um, you know, what he can do, not only just in that game, but this off season. And he's like a real candidate to be a guy who can kind of get in, a, get in the lab, get in there with Tommy Reese, like learn the offense a little bit better. And like we talked about, you know, if he does eliminate those couple of obvious things, I'm I hate to say excited because that feels like, again, like rooting for Russia. But I, I think I actually would be more excited to watch him. I guess like Blake Sims was another guy that I was like, oh, this guy's fun to root for. Like he's just kind of chippy as a story like this. And so, yeah, I think uh, I'm really interested to see what they come up with this offseason. And the amount of – I can't believe I'm saying this about Bama too. The amount of adversity he's had to deal with, you know, not playing USF game for whatever reason. Again, we would normally call it coaching. But, yeah, I think that he uh, he has had to actually bounce back from some stuff, you know, starting in like for Bryce Young, which was an unwinnable position, having this weird battle to start the year, where as we see, it probably should have just been his job the whole time, but you got to create the competition or whatever. So uh, bringing in Buckner, all that stuff, it all just didn't matter. I mean, this is a team that so clearly should have won or should have lost at least another game or two. And uh, here they are. Here they still are. I mean, Milrow has been a huge part of that reason. Uh, they've made the clutch plays when they mattered. I mean, on third down, I've got nightmares about that dude running through my dreams like Freddy Krueger. That guy was unstoppable. And so, like, I, I just want to, yeah, give him credit where it's due because he has turned – he has built himself up week by week. He's gotten better. He's been really coachable. And that's what you, what you love to see, you know? If Milrow and Beck come back, they're the two preseason Heisman favorites. That's probably probably fair if Caleb yeah. Williams goes to the NFL, if Drake, Drake May is off to the NFL, Bo Nix – uh, let me look in the database. Yes, he's finally out of eligibility. <laughs> I was uh, that was my first thought. Yeah. Connor, he's coming back. <laughs> Michael Penix out of eligibility. Yeah, there there is a world in which those two guys could return and be the preseason Heisman favorites. Jaden also finally out of, out of eligibility. Mm-hmm. They could be the Brady faces. Cook. <laughs> I like. I, I'll give Brady Cook his flowers. We, we've we've given Mizzou a lot of credit. Not not saying preseason Heisman favorite in that in that sort of way. Not, no, yeah. not getting there yet. 
All right, Auburn, Arkansas. What you saw play out on Saturday was very clearly two programs going in opposite directions. We don't need to dig too deep into this, but mm-hmm. Auburn went into Fayetteville. They whipped Arkansas in a way that I, I don't know if Sam Pittman was going to be able to recover from. We're recording this at 1230 on Sunday. So TBD on that. Probably going to get cold taked because why wouldn't I get cold taked? Um, by the way, Chris Lowe uh, informed, has been informed that he has been fired at Texas A&M, according to Chris Lowe, ESPN. Um, so just in case there was any lingering doubt about that by the time people are listening to this. But as it relates to Arkansas, just horrible optics. Could not be worse because Auburn showed up with bad intentions and deserved to be able to win. They played like a team who had already clinched bowl eligibility because I said last week that was in the bag. Auburn fans, you could celebrate it, even though it was only win number five. Auburn was up 21 to nothing in that game before Arkansas knew what hit them. Before fans could even have the conversation in their chair about, man, wasn't last week against Florida, wasn't that great? Isn't this team yeah. just, just fighting and doing some great things. By the time they could do that, it's 21 nothing at home. Yeah, That sucks. Auburn showed up pissed off. Arkansas just showed up like it would just pick up where it left off after Florida, and that did not happen. Auburn totally dominated in the trenches. Five sacks, had 354 rushing yards. I went back and looked it up. It was their most against SEC competition in seven years. I mean, golly. Think about that. And it feels like they're always kind of doing that, too. Like It feels right? like they're the, that's what they do. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and still, seven years, that was the last time they had run for that many yards against SEC competition. Jarquez Hunter continues to roll. Peyton Thorne's ability to use his legs has been a welcome addition to this offense. And it's one of the reasons why you really didn't need to run the two-quarterback system as long as you did with Robbie Ashford, because mm-hmm. he's still giving you that element. It's still not a good passing offense, but who really cares? Auburn has a three-game winning streak in SEC play for the first time since 2020. Only the second time that Auburn has had a three-game winning streak in SEC play since the start of 2018. That's kind of weird. I mean, obviously, competition, not great. Those teams that Auburn has beat in this three-game winning streak, they're 2-19 and in SEC play. Take it for what it is. If your takeaway from watching Auburn just dominate Arkansas is that this team is now destined to beat Bama, I'd say pump the brakes. But if your takeaway is that Auburn finishing with an eight and five record with a lot of momentum, it that is on the table. Like if that's your takeaway, I'd say I'm there with you. I am. I continue to say, be patient with your post spring quarterback transfers. History says that early in the season, it's going to be rough. You're going to have to work through some crap. If Joe Burrow had to work through some crap, if Will Levis had to work through some crap, there's a good chance that Peyton Thorne and dudes like him are going to work through some crap. He did yep. give those guys time. Uh, Auburn fans probably had their patience running a little bit thin. I think some of that was the receivers, the drops, the two quarterback system, who's calling plays, who's not calling plays. So that, that probably fed into it, but I'm happy that the iron bowl will be an Auburn team riding high and an Alabama team riding high, assuming that both avoid disaster, both avoid major injury next week as well. So good for Auburn to be able to come out and win on the road in very convincing fashion against an Arkansas team that in theory had a lot to play for did not act like it in the, in the least way. One of the worst efforts of the year of, of any, of any team that I have seen in the sec in recent memory. And that was for a coaching staff who could probably least afford to have one of the worst efforts of recent memory. The punt return was bad. They had another weird play later on with the fumble with rocket where everybody thought he was down. Auburn returns it. And you're like, Oh man, 
this that totally flipped things but that looked like a team disinterested in tackling it was so bad will no urgency whatsoever of all the teams who would go up 21 nothing in the middle of the first quarter on the road auburn has to be like bottom 20 in the country in that okay yep. that's not been their dna all year and i actually thought when arkansas got that pick when they were down 21 nothing I thought it would be a furious comeback and it would at least be a four quarter game. And then they settle for a field goal. They get destroyed. That did not happen. We talked about this with Matt. The optics were always going to play a big part of this with Hunter Juracek and Sam Pittman. If I get cold taked on this again, I'm that that's life that that's that comes with the territory. I'm not sure Hunter Juracek is going to have a choice. Arkansas is officially not going to a bowl game. And, um, I'm not doubting Arkansas fans when I say this, but I cannot imagine that these next two home games, which are against FIU and Mizzou. I don't think those are going to have the best atmospheres when your last two home games cleared out in extremely favorable matchups and you mm-hmm. left you left that feeling awful about your program. So if the Hogs aren't going to keep Pittman, if they would pay a buyout, that would be in the $16 million range. I've already given my rough candidate list. It's Glenn Schumann. It's Mike Elko. It's Brian Johnson. It is Dan Mullen, and let's just a wild card. Just throw it in there, just just for the hell of it. Let's just have some fun because I think of recruiting in the state of Texas, how important that is for that Arkansas job. Tom Herman, Tom Herman, hmm. yeah. yeah. I, uh, there are worse fits. There are worse fits. I, in the right situation, I am not. I have not totally written off the idea of Tom Herman once again being a decent Power Five head coach. Mm-hmm. Bobby Petrino also free. Let's not go down that road. Although Arkansas fans, look, uh, plenty of them have said, "Hey, you know, bring Bobby back. It's a different world." Do the background, just be like, you know what? This is all your fault, but we'll just do <laughs> no. It heals I, all wounds. Will it does? Yeah, I'm dude. I'm right there with you. It's like I, Pittman is the only SEC coach that I will just straight up root for. I just okay, he's on a rival team. I think he's a cool guy. I love his story. I love how the energy he brings. I love how everybody doubted him. I love how he turned the program around, and I think it's pretty fair to say they've been turned right back around. Not quite to where they found him, which is why they got to kind of move on. Um, but I, I wasn't even ready to say that until right now. But, yeah, exactly what you just said, man. I mean, they come out against Florida with, like, their hair's on fire. They score 14 straight to start the game. Boom, and they're just hanging on, hanging on. But then they have to come back. You know what I'm saying? They they have to go back and win that game that they already were kind of deflated. And it's, like, kind of this, you know, cute story where you have this first-time OC that it's, like, he doesn't exactly know why everything's working, but he's just playing. He's, like, got lightning in the bottle. And you come out this week and it's, like, Auburn, like this Auburn team? It's Yeah, like, like you – this is one that felt very winnable and that, you know <laughs> – I joked last week about like Mizzou fans like rooting against Arkansas. It's like, yeah, that game is now going to be a complete blowout because everything that we thought was Arkansas plays really well with their backs against the wall. And that's why I don't feel as bad about the Pittman thing because it's like the things that he could hang his hat on. We talked about it. Offensive line play, atrocious, maybe the worst in the league. Um, guys playing hard, you know, not giving up. They gave up almost immediately in this game. And so it's like, what do you have? You know, what do you have left? I mean, you're going to have to replace – you have to replace at least one, probably if not, or you already replaced one. If if not, you know, I, I guess their defense is okay. I don't think it's good or anything, but maybe you, even if you keep Pittman, you probably got to again replace coordinators. So you're paying money anyway. So I think it probably is better to just have a clean break. And yeah, I mean, last year, you know, we were sold, which what made a lot of sense is that, you know, offensive defensive coordinators, not great. Get them out of here. Boom. But sort of now it's like they're even worse with the new guys that he brought in. Enos was a disaster of a hire. So yeah, I think, um, 
think it just kind of is what it is. It's just hard to sell. Okay, well, if we get another year, we can turn this back around to where I, where I was two years ago. Uh, so, yeah, it's just really disappointing performance because, you know, even if, I mean, they needed to win this one, there's no spinning that. There would be no moral victory. But, you know, if it would be like a down to the wire, like back and forth game would be one thing. But this game was over so quickly, like you said. it's And, and to lose the way they have against Mississippi State and against Auburn, it's like, where do you think you fit in in this conference? Do you like? What are you cool with like seventh in the West? <laughs> like, what are we doing? I will probably at some point, maybe in December, do a breakdown of the 21st century SEC coaches who have made it to year five, mm. and how that is so much more rare than we even realize. Mm. It is just not a given in this day and age. And you can have all the good vibes in the world early on, and you could be the right man at the right time for the job. And I. And my heart of hearts believe Sam Pittman was that dig them out of the crap hole. That was the Chad Morris era and get them to the place that they're at in 2021, which was not just one of the cool stories in college football, but one of those teams where you're like, man, like they're, they're coming, they're doing things so well, they're establishing an identity. They've, they've actually got things that you can buy into and say that this, this is sustainable and um, how quickly things can change in this conference. It, uh, it looks like they have changed in a very significant way for Arkansas. Uh, let's close out. Let's, let's whip through these, these last two games. We don't need to spend a whole lot of time in Mississippi state and A&M, um, yep. a battle of third string quarterbacks a game that clearly mattered. Yeah. mattered so much. Um, some are saying that Jalen Henderson is him. Mm-hmm. I'm not there Hemerson. quite yet. He might be Hemerson. There we will. Come on. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, but yeah, this uh, this game was really, really lopsided and uh, kind of a reminder that I think the Bobby Petrino offense works. I do. I really do. Like some of the things that Henderson's doing, there, there's no way they would have been doing that in the the archaic Jimbo offense. But um, he looks pretty good. And for a guy that hadn't thrown a ball in a game in two years and eight career FBS pass attempts, didn't really know a whole lot about him, was kind of a surprising ad in the transfer portal. I mean, credit him for being able to show up on that stage and 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 deliver a performance that AM felt like at the time it needed. Obviously, things aged very differently over the course of the next 24 hours. But um, yeah, it was one of those games in which if you forgot this game was on because you were dialed in to Florida and LSU and you're obviously watching Ole Miss and Georgia, then uh, I'm not going to sit here and blame you and tell you that you needed to watch this game because it was pretty bad. Watching Mississippi State attempt to do offense is so frustrating. I all I hope for at this point for Mississippi State season is that Chris is that not Chris Parsons, not Mike Wright, but Will Rogers returns for the Egg Bowl. I just I need Woody Marks. I need Will Rogers out there for an Egg Bowl just just to convince me that it can be a competitive football game, because right now they are just not playing in competitive football games. I don't expect Kevin Barbe to be back as Mississippi State offensive coordinator. Again, I hope I don't get cold taked on that one, but mm-hmm. I don't expect him to be back. They returned the opening kick and scored three points the rest of the night. Like that's, hmm. it sure did. Yep. So that that that's not great. The Zach Garnett conversation needs to be had. It does. Friend of the program. I like Garnett. Maybe he was put in a tough spot. Maybe he's put himself in a tough spot with the way that these hires have played out and being at this point of his career. Maybe he wasn't ready for this opportunity. Maybe, maybe that'll be his takeaway. If they can't beat Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl, they're going to miss a bowl game for the first time since 2009. 2009. His buyout's only $9 bucks. They paid more to get rid of Moorhead. They did that after just two years. 
You've got your AD, Zach Selman, in there. He was hired after Arnett was promoted to be the head coach, following a situation that I'm not sure any Power 5 program is ever prepared for to have a an active head coach die. Um, and at the time, obviously, the move made sense, and I've, I've kind of praised some of Arnett's decision-making, but you just can't feel great about how this has gone, and you're about to be part of an even more competitive conference that – also offers greater rewards if you can be nine and three and if you can be part of that playoff conversation someone could decide that if Ole Miss just trucks Mississippi State he's going to go in a new direction that could very much happen it would be if that happens it would be the fourth head coach post Dan Mullen which is crazy that's a lot man underrated what Dan Mullen did over there at this point I honestly think he probably just should have stayed because he would be the god in Starkville Mississippi if you're Zach Selman would you make that call so you make that call. You say, Dan, come home. Look, man, different situation that you had at Florida, why it didn't work out. It worked out here. This was a, this. We look back on this, on your run, your decade run here, and we would say this was a successful hire. Do you call him up and say, let's, let's run it back. Let's, let's make this happen. Let's, let's everybody be on the same page. This is your forever home. Just something to keep in mind. Something I was thinking about. And who knows? Who knows where? that you want to put your own stamp on a hire. I get it, but it would be fascinating to see something like that develop. And I would not rule it out. Yeah. Mullen seems like he's not even a guy who particularly like wants to do TV. I think he just is kind of like me and wants to get some jokes off at Florida's expense. Eh. Which is like, Hey, good for you. Like, I'll I think he's fine at it, but I'll disagree. So, you're yeah. not doing this. You're not doing the all day studio stuff. If you don't like TV yeah. that, that yeah. you're just doing games. The all day yeah. studio stuff is a grind and he does the Thursday night with our friend, Matt Barry, who I'll, I'll get on the mm-hmm. show, hopefully in the next couple of weeks here. And then he does the studio stuff all day, Saturday. If you don't like football, you're not doing that. Uh, and if you don't like doing the, the, the analyst stuff, because that, that is a long, long day. Yeah, no, I mean, fair. I think too, like your schedule as a football coach, you're just never going to get as hard as a college football coach schedule too. So like, that's probably a walk in the park for like that. Even if he wasn't crazy about recruiting, like Kirby smart said, but yeah, I would, I would do that. I think it's a move. And Arnett gives me, Vibes of two different Louisiana coaches for two different reasons. He uh, stylistically gives me the vibes of um, Dave Aranda. I think that Dave Aranda is so similar to Zach Arnett in that they both are three, three, five enjoyers. They're both defensive masterminds, not great leaders of men. I think we could pretty well say that mm. after a couple of years from these guys. I think that they are the best defensive coordinators in the sport. I think they are literally like up there, like one and two. I think that being head coach is a little bit harder another guy dennis allen right sean payton leaves is a huge personality sure. he was the one who was standing in front of anyone soaking up all the sunlight saying come at me come at me like talk about me say bad things about me and dennis allen is just hiding in the background have a great defense you know he was everybody's favorite guy he gets promoted and looks like he's a little bit too a little bit in over his head so i feel that for our net you know you can be you can be a uh really great at your job and not be great at the people part of it and it's, it's just it's impossible to learn that in a way um so i think that like you say he was put in a terrible position i think the right they made the right hire and giving this guy a chance because i think he would have probably been out of there to go be a great defensive coordinator at yeah. alabama or something because so many i mean we wanted him so everybody wanted this guy when and he kept staying by mississippi state so i think it was a good job for both sides to say okay you're going to get this shot here. But yeah, I just don't know what you can, what you can build on after this year. Cause you came into the, you know, you came into the year with a chance to have the all time sec passing yardage leader. And like, well, it felt like a bunny. Like it felt like if he was pretty mid all year, he would still get that record and he got injured. And the, the offense has been horrible, even with a solid run game and, and running back and marks, they just have not gotten it going. So yeah, I mean, I don't know what to sell with hope and I'm, I'm with there with you. If you called in well and answers, I'm <laughs> calling on it next. I know, right? It's look, who, who knows how this how this is going to play out, but 
I think we're going to have a lot more things to talk about with Mississippi State. And definitely looks like we're going to have at least one change. I'd be very, very surprised they ran it back with that offense. Okay, Vandy, South Carolina. Not a whole lot that we need to dig into with this one. This was South Carolina's offense doing what it's kind of done uh, throughout most of the season, really. And the Spencer Rattler, Xavier Leggett connection is still so unbelievably good. And he's incredibly fun to watch. But South Carolina's defense showed a pulse against the Vandy offense that doesn't have a pulse. Clayton White probably going to be fired at season's end. But that group was much better. Give him credit for that. All you need to know about South Carolina's defensive day, Alex Huntley. Defensive tackle. He had as many points as Vandy's offense. Nice little rollout. Love it. Love it when a big fella gets a TD. We always love the JJ offensive touches. We love it when a guy like that gets involved. Good for Rattler to be able to come in and, and just dominate and have a laugher, a comfortable victory. Um, not so good that Vandy is not going to get an SEC win this year. I'm not banking on them being able to go into Knoxville and win against Tennessee. So I'm just going to say that right now. The question is about South Carolina. Can they beat Kentucky? Absolutely. Kentucky on the road, uh, not much of a thing. South Carolina might actually be able to have some offensive balance. I think that is very much on the table. Unbelievable run by Mario Anderson to break like three different tackles in this one. Um, He's become a really nice player for him. Kentucky, look, I could could see Kentucky getting walloped in that game. I'm not saying that's what I'm predicting, but I, I could definitely see that happening and having a very similar feel to what we saw play out just because Kentucky does so many self-inflicting things. Not sure if Maxwell Harrison's going to be at hundred percent. So if he's not, you're like, Oh boy, Leggett could run all over that defense. Let's leave the door just cracked open for potential juice. Wells return. Let's leave it cracked. Just like, I don't know how much, but at least a, a few inches. You just ne- never know in a situation like that. The door is also cracked on South Carolina's bowl chances. Do you have anything you want to add to that? Or can we just go to yard now? <laughs> Oh, um, just real quick. I, we are cr- we are creating just an electric. I, as much as I love Stoops, I hope Car- South Carolina just kind of gets it together, plays really well. You know, I feel like playing Vandy is like when you're playing Mario Kart and you get like one of those power boosts. Like whichever point you get to see them this season is like a great week. Like you kind of could turn momentum around. So if they can ride that into Kentucky, beat them, man, that Clemson game for bowl eligibility is what I'm already rooting for. Oh, that would that would be fantastic. That would be a, a very interesting way for Shane Beamer to close the season after starting off two and six. Okay, Yarno. SEC Coach of the Year belongs to the winner of the SEC Championship. Yarno. I think there's only Drink is the only non-SEC Championship coach who is even in the running. I, I weirdly, I kind of feel like you have to give it to Drink as much as impressive as what Kirby has done is and what Saban's does. I think you got you've kind of already given them their flowers. Whereas like that award feels like it's a little bit more of a new blood award. So I, I actually personally think I'm going to Drink just because of how bad they've been. Like it's cute. They got way better. Whereas Bama just kind of stayed where they're at. Georgia just kind of stayed where they're at. You know, the award's actually not been a new blood thing. The last four mm-hmm. coaches who have won SEC Coach of the Year have won a national championship. So mm-hmm. take that for what it is because it's no, that's actually fair. Yeah. Yeah, like Saban and Kirby and, and Ed Odron won in 2019 too. So it could end up just going to the winner of that. I, I think Saban and, and Kirby both have a very good argument. Drink, of course, as well, would be part of that conversation. The last, yeah, 2018 Stoops was the last non SEC championship, national championship winner, I should say, to be able to, or I, I should just say, yeah, it was all national championship winners, I, I believe. Um, so drink could have an argument similar to that, but I think it's kind of down to those three at this point. Um, okay. Yeah or nah, Michigan will win a national title with or without Jim Harbaugh. Still not. Nah. I, I didn't think that team could win with anybody's sides. 
is Jim Harbaugh dead? Is he dead? Because that post game was, man. The Big Ten has spent 50 years trying to convince us that we're unserious and they're these learned people. And in one offseason, they've had Pat Fitzgerald, Mel Tucker, and now it seems like the WWE has just broken loose in the Big Ten. You go to that interview, and it literally looks like prime, like SmackDown. What is, what is going on in the Big Ten, bro? I think I have set alerts. Do I have alerts? Yeah, something like that for uh, Desmond Howard when he speaks on Connor Stallions and anything Michigan suspension related. I just think he's got a really unbiased opinion, and I, I, I value his viewpoint. So. Um, keep me keep me up to date on those if, if there's something that that passes by just just send me a text if you see anything like that um yarna we will make the best of cake week cake week not cupcake week we rebranded it mm-hmm. that's that's yeah yeah we will oh yeah no i mean uh yeah i i think that like as we kind of i got a little bit greedy talking about presenting in the future but like yeah i think uh, there's gonna be a lot of a lot of stuff on the line a lot of teams that are really like fighting at the end of the year so, and like the vibes, I think there's lots of vibes at stake right now. I mean, Arkansas and Vandy feel like they're the only ones that are truly vibes down, like for the rest of the year. We have three games involving SEC versus SEC competition. So, not great. Yep. <laughs> not great. At least we have Georgia, Tennessee. That's good. Georgia, Tennessee is yeah. good. Kentucky, South Carolina. That's going to be good. That's going to be fun. Look forward to that. Uh, but yeah, it will be a thin week. Potentially two interviews. Potentially two interviews we won't be doing because obviously the slate is very, very light. We don't need to be digging into the cake week opponents that are uh, significant underdogs as much. So, yeah. Okay. I know we ran long on a recap pod, but obviously the Fisher stuff was something that we were going to make sure that we, we went into pretty significant depth on. So apologies for the length of this episode. If you have not leave us a five-star review, subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch every episode of the Saturday down South podcast, which is presented by Texas Pete. Follow us on the app, formerly known as Twitter, at the SDS Pod, at Sat Down South, at CJ O'Gara, at Go So Hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.